somewhere. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to Jerusalem U's The Israel Teacher's Lounge, where we still keep you connected to what's going on in Israel. And sometimes we broaden our conversation to deeper, richer topics. I'm your host, Michael Unterberg. Unfortunately, co-host Alan Goldman is in Poland. I mean, I guess fortunately. I'm sure he's enjoying himself. I am here with oftentimes guest and producer Matt Littman. How's it going, Matt? It's going very well. Good morning, Mike. I'm pleased to be back in one of my uh, former institutions of studying, Machon Pardes in Yerushalayim. And you've brought today's guest. Would you like to introduce him and talk about what, what our conversation today is going to be about? Sure, that would be a great honor for me. Our guest this morning is David Berman. David Berman is the chef of Pardes. He'll tell us a little bit about how long he's been here and what he does here. Uh, but when I was a student in Pardes... What is Pardes? Ah, excuse me. The Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. It is a institute of... Jewish studies in Jerusalem, as the name suggests. The main population is people postgraduate after university. So for those of you listening who are in university, looking for a place to come back and study in Israel for a while, it's a great program. And uh, the population is very mixed between all sorts of dif- different denominations and uh, levels of observance, levels of background. They pride themselves on that. Um, and I was a student here about 12 years ago, I think, something like that. So, And David was here when I was here, and we've kept in contact since then. So I thought David would be a great guest to speak to us this morning about Pesach in Israel. Why Pesach in Israel? Because, of course, we're Jewish, and we're in Israel, and what do Jews in Israel love to do? They love to eat. So David's going to talk to us a bit about Pesach in Israel, and food, of course. Okay, and does David get to... Can, we, can David talk? Is that okay? Or? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, my name is David Berman. I've been at I've been living in Israel for thirty years now. I came straight off university in two thousand in nineteen eighty seven from Cape Town, South Africa. And uh, when I came in Aliyah, I, I did two years in hotel school. So That's weird because I was detecting like a Texan accent. <laughs> well, my wife's English, so maybe my accent is uh, worn down. Uh, but anyway, after two years in a hotel school where we did a bit of cooking and mainly management, I uh, started working in the hotel industry, and I've worked in hotels and restaurants. And I've been at Pardes now for 14 years, uh, running the kitchen. It's my second professional cooking job. Before that, I worked in food and beverage, not in cooking. And as Matthew mentioned, I have a wide selection of students over here, and I try to keep them happy, including those who are gluten-free, nut-free, don't eat uh, nightshades, uh, lactose-free, vegan, vegetarian, etc. So you feed the students at Pardes. Do you also, I mean, how does your... How do you, how do you, what role do you play as a teacher here? Okay, well, I'm not officially a teacher, but I have a lot of contact with the students. Quite literally, the kitchen doesn't have a door. It's not stuck in the basement, or which often happens in hotels and restaurants. Um, it's, it's, on the, it's next to the dining hall, which is near the Beit Midrash, and the, and the students come in all the time. So I have an opportunity, happily, to spend a lot of time speaking to the students and trying to help them uh, you know, figure out uh, what life's in Israel. A lot of them haven't been here for any extended periods of time. Most of them are American. We have quite a few Europeans this year from a variety of countries such as uh, Bulgaria and uh, Hungary and France and uh, try to help them along and, and keep, them, uh, keep them engaged and chat with them about food and just living in Israel. In addition to which I do in fact uh, cook the food and uh, serve it and help clean up and etc. And is it difficult satisfying the culinary appetites of people from such different countries? Well, when I when I started working here, it was certainly quite a shock to deal with people that are <coughs> gluten-free, lactose-free, and as the years have gone on, we've certainly seen an increase in the number of people with the 
dietary requirements. But a long time ago, I decided that I'm not going to go to the lowest uh, possible denominator, which would be, you know, gluten-free vegan food, but uh, make regular, in inverted commas, food. We only have a dairy kitchen here. But uh, make regular food and then uh, adapt and uh, provide for everyone so that everyone can eat together, which at times is challenging. And this year we have a few students who are quite challenging, but I can uh, rise to the occasion. But I mean, how do you feed a Bulgarian? Oh, just feed him uh, Ashkenazi food and hope he likes it. Uh, do, you, do you give him Bulgari cheese or is that, the, uh, or is that Bulgari cheese got nothing to do with Bulgaria? It has to do with Bulgaria, and they eat a lot of barakas there, from what I understand from him. He's very keen to have a, uh, a Bulgaria. Uh, uh, during the year, we have different themed meals, which are around Chagim, or around certain students who want to uh, represent whether, whether this, uh, we had a student this We have a student this year from Uganda, which is also in Africa, but not quite where I'm from. And uh, so we had a meal with Ugandan food, and we might have a meal with Bulgarian food if we can fit it in. And he, uh, he claims that he's got some uh, interesting recipes up his sleeve, but we'll see. Wow, okay, so it sounds like a very varied kind of uh, clientele that you have here. Um, so what we'd like to talk about, like I said, is Pesach. Pesach is just a, uh, oh cripes, it's a week and a half away now. Uh, and in Israel, Pesach takes on a religious dimension, of course, but it also has a very strong cultural dimension as part of the, the culture in Israel. Um, and that revolves around food to a large degree. So can you tell us a little bit about how the food culture of Israel transforms itself at Pesach? Uh, I can try to do that. Um, I have to just state that my background is 100% uh, Litvak or Lithuanian, um, Ashkenazi, um, Misnagde, uh, and uh, coming from a very strong tradition which was in South Africa, where even if people weren't religious uh, or not religious or aren't religious, as my late parents were, very Jewish, very ethnocentric, and Pesach was certainly a lot to do with food and traditional foods that were eaten and things that weren't eaten, and which has pretty much uh, set me up for understanding how things work in Israel. Obviously, it's a bit more complicated here. In South Africa, for example, there was almost no Sephardi uh, community or a very, very small Sephardi community and a tiny Yekka community. And do, you know, do you know when and how they arrived in South Africa, when the Jews arrived in South Africa? The Jewish the Jews came at the end of the 19th century, till from the main mainly from about around 1890 until uh, the First World War. I have grandparents who came uh, at the in the, the very beginning of the 20th century, and a grandfather came in 1917. In 1917, the, from Lithuania, main 95, probably 96, 97 percent from Lithuania, a small Svardi population who came from Belgian Congo and the Rhodes. Very, very small Yekka community that came after the war. And there were also Jews who came already from, uh, there was a, in the 1820s, there was the 1820 settlers who were British, and there were supposedly some Jews from them. The first shul was built in, in 1843, I believe. It's still standing as a museum. But the, the main thrust of the, of the immigration was, uh, <coughs> from nine, from 1890s to the First World War. And thereafter, around the Second World War, there were, um, limitations placed by the, by the, the, the Africa the, the Afrikaner government on immigration and they didn't want Jews to come but so most of them had come before then which means that uh, my parents and uh, all my, both my parents were born in South Africa in the 1920s and majority of the almost all the Jews of, of a very similar background came mainly from uh, from Kovna and from Riga and a few other Lithuanian towns but a very cohesive and a very traditional community although not strongly religious um, everyone attended uh, 
the unorthodox show and then drove home afterwards and as I did in my youth went to football on Friday night or watched TV uh, one of the ra- a certain rabbi who visited South Africa claims it was the only place that he knew that Shabbat uh, began and ended on Friday night but uh, uh, whatever the fact is a very traditional community I mean, what you're describing isn't uncommon around the uh, world no, I, not uncommon but it seemed to it was uh, you know you really have uh, not, not uncommon but certainly different to, to living in Israel and uh, when I came to Israel, uh, the first years I was in hotel school and started meeting Israelis. Um, in South Africa, I, I think I never really met any Sephardim except one or two locals, and they much, pretty much kept to themselves and we kept to ourselves. And then, obviously, when you come to Israel, um, just walking into a supermarket uh, before Pesach, um, you, were, uh, you saw a lot of products which you were not familiar with or were not familiar with in Pesach, such as different types of legumes, kitniot, um, rice, and, uh, and various other products. And uh, I think that's, that over the years, one, um, I personally uh, pretty much stuck with our family tradition. My wife is uh, from, from birth, and she has some very strong English traditions, which they maintain. They're you know, not eating dried fruit, for example, on Pesach, because once dried fruit had flour, so it wouldn't stick. And her parents are very much keen on that. And my in-laws only eat uh, oil made from walnuts or cottonseed and not other oils. Personally, you know, I... Uh, have adapted more to what what's in the local culture and try to understand exactly why certain foods would be allowed and not be allowed and you know make certain decisions for us and our families such as you know hot topics such as canola oil and lecithin which you know i think are really uh, minor issues but some people get very excited about well ashkenazi jews don't eat I don't, kidney oat people try to explain in english and there's really no valid english word it's a bunch of different things that like corn and rice that that Sephardim will eat on Passover because they're not chametz, but Ashkenazim stopped eating a long time ago because they feared it would get mixed with chametz. But I've never heard of this custom of not eating dried fruit. Uh, I, I'm actually from England, and I've never heard of that. So I'm very interested where that uh, originated from. Well, I, I'm, I hadn't heard of that. Uh, before and in fact thinking back at the time when I heard it when uh, my wife and I were dating got married it was over the Pesach period we got married on uh, just after on uh, like on um, Tubav and um, I you know recalling thinking back foods that my mother and my grandmother had made certainly included dried fruits raisins prunes and simmers and um, I, I've got no no I didn't never actually looked into it specifically but my father-in-law Shibadela uh, Chaimaruki may should you know, live long and well. Insists that that's their minhag and that he's not interested in batching from that. There are, there are funny minhags. My grandparents had a minhag about eggshells that I never understood. They would oh, they had a separate pot just for boiling eggs, and the shells were immediately thrown away because there was some Pesach issue. So they would have eggs, but dealt with shells with this whole unique. I don't, I don't know where that came from. Was that because the chickens were corn fed, or was? Uh I, I honestly have no idea. I, I assume these things accumulate because at some point somebody sees something get, you know, if you see sacks of flour and sacks of rice at the shuk, so you get a sense of maybe why they were afraid of things mixing. I don't know how the eggshell thing, or, or, I mean, I use plenty of dry fruit in my charosa, which is quintessentially a Passover. I mean, that's a Seder food, and I guess they make their charosa with just nuts and apples. Uh, nuts and apples, and red wine. Uh, what's also interesting is that, that I have come to sort of learn about 
during the time here is that it's it's really not black and white Ashkenazi versus Sephardim. Even within the Sephardim communities, there's certainly Sephardim communities who don't eat rice. I just assumed all Sephardim eat rice, but it, it would seem that uh, you know in, a lot of Moroccans don't eat rice, or, or, or um, Sephardim lived in Euro- what we call European countries, which would include Iraq and uh, Turkey, wouldn't eat rice, whereas Sephardim who, who lived in Arab-speaking uh, Arab countries did eat the rice, and lots of other minor issues within sort of within the Sephardi that once again the same way with Ashkenazim is not it's not we're not all one uh, one customer in, in Sephardim as well and that 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 certainly was something that I've only really learned about the past couple of years and um, uh, um, it's, it's not even like a halachic pursuit to get to keep track of all it's more like an ethnographic yeah. pursuit to, to see all the different little microculture and, and it's so fascinating that they all pop up around Pesach it's uh, correct. It's also interesting, I think, to see that uh, in, in the past few years, I think it's going to continue, that at some stage we will have sort of like a, a minhag eris Israeli, which will be, you know, that there will be more, there are more Ashkenazim, for example, already eating some sort of kidney oil, or people who are trying to work out, you know, tofu, which is a derivative of soybeans, and soybeans weren't really kidney oil to start with, and, and the soy, you know, is a, is, is a derivative of it, so we can allow that. Uh, I certainly am familiar with a number of... Uh, uh, observant, orthodox observant people who have given, you know, a, a ruling that people who are vegans can eat kidney oil because they don't have any other source uh, of, if they're not going to eat meat and they're not going to eat eggs and uh, a fish, they don't have other source of protein of Pesach and they've said they can. So I think the things are developing and I think one sees um, I mean, even in the, in the people that we know and we live in a religious community and all our friends are religious but once again, you know, people um, with time have, have adapted a little bit to, to what's available locally and to I don't know if it's a general um, uh, becoming more uh, lenient or just uh, sort of melding of of the uh, the melding of of the different traditions, which will hope may, maybe one day will really form a new tradition that will be a combination of everything. I don't. It's interesting you mentioned that the the distinction between leniency and becoming more culturally melded, because you talked about when you came to Israel, and, and for us, I know when we made Aliyah a number of years ago, we also were much more stringent about what kind of oils and what kind of like mayonnaise we would use because of the oil and the chocolate spread and all this sort of stuff. And then we realized we're in Israel. And we spoke to people and said, we're now in Israel. This is now Minhag Yisraeli. So it's interesting you, you say it will develop. I feel like it has developed, at least for us, because since we've been in Israel, we've become more into the local society as opposed to lenient, I would say. I think, um, And that's an interesting distinction, what it is about being in Israel that, that does that. And if that's kind of like a cultural uh, expression I guess, of kibbutz galia and Jews coming together and learning from each other, and, or if it's something different. Well, the distinctions came in different diaspora communities, and as the Jewish nation reheals and becomes singular, you'll certainly probably keep some regional differences, but they'll, they have to... I mean, I think what you're describing, David, is inevitable when you have a people living together, and, and this kidney oil issue is such, a, is such a clear and present example of it, because part of why in the diaspora Jews are more stringent is because the Jewish supermarket or the Jewish shopping experience in the diaspora is aimed at the stringencies of Ashkenazic Jews. And when you see kosher for Passover, so you buy it because it's not a problem. Whereas in Israel, the majority of the country are not Ashkenazic Jews and do eat kidney oat. And so products, you have to be very careful on the shelf. And it's amazing how many things use kidney oat derivatives. So most people who, most immigrants, even Ashkenazi immigrants, it seems to me, and I, I haven't seen a study, 
But just anecdotally, it seems that most, whereas in, in the diaspora would, would not use kitneo derivatives, now seem to be using kitneo derivatives. Even my wife is kind of breaking down, finally, <laughs> getting chocolate bars like that have lecithin. I don't even know what lecithin... It's a derivative. It's often made from soy. And for what I've read, um, everyone, basically, anyone who's anyone, unless they're Haredi, was going to say that it's no problem. It's a derivative. And even from the outset, as I said, soy was considered possibly not even being kitneal. So we certainly... Uh, Eat, eat all those products. Uh, my in-laws, once again, who are in a different generation, um, you know, when they come to us over Pesach, then we don't serve those items, and that's I think that's their prerogative. And I think that uh, they have seen their children, um, uh, as in, they have seen their children and and, and families have uh, have changed a little bit and are eating things that they wouldn't want to eat. But, um, but when they're not there, you sit down to a nice steaming bowl of lecithin because. <laughs> Not, not quite, but certainly, you know, use, um, use canola oil and use, uh, and if I was out at a meal and so I was served dried fruit, etc., I would at, at home, you know, I think there's, I, I think uh, uh, one of the aspects together with this kibbutz galiot and the different, um, traditions melding, I, I, I personally, being from a reasonably insular community in South Africa, do respect the tradition. I think that there is value in keeping your traditions as well, and it's not doesn't necessarily have to be all or nothing. That you know we've come to Israel, so let's just throw everything in and let's eat rice because that's what Israelis do, or that's what Sephardim do, or that's let's make that our tradition. But then I think that uh, it's a combination. On the one hand, you want to eat the foods that you associate with Pesach and that you you value the traditions of. On the other hand, you know, um, adapting and also seeing what locals eat and, and and combining the two. I mean, in fact, what could what what often. I find people doing is eating their traditional food, but being made made of necess- not necessarily being made of ingredients that it would be made in in out of Israel. So they will make something that that their mothers made, but they'd use uh, an oil which they wouldn't use in in Chutzar. So they sort of you know combining the two. And I think that uh, it's not throwing. You know, I, I don't think the tradition has to be thrown out. I think that there is value to to continue the traditions and uh, and continue the recipes that people have used over the years. And you know, I have very fond memories of of you know when in South Africa when there was a very limited selection of products um, you know we certainly have plenty to eat and I try to do those now give those over to my children even though you know they might prefer to be eating the hummus and, and other products which people in Israel eat on Pesach but there is value to the tradition and to keeping them at the same time to you know somehow moving with the times and becoming more of a of Isra- become more Israeli than becoming, you know, they're retaining our... Oh, but it also becomes a question of time scale. In other words, if you're talking about a generation or two, so for sure people naturally do that. But if you, we have test cases. I mean, if you, if you look at the, this, the Spanish expulsion, those Jews, it did, it's not that they, they absorbed the cultures that they lived in, but there was a mixing of the Spanish traditions with the local, so that, uh, so that Spanish Jews in Amsterdam ended up practicing Judaism with a very different flavor than Spanish Jews who ended up in Tunisia. Um, it, that, these sort of things over the course of time are just, you can't stop history. So, so I have a, I'd like to change, uh, change gears slightly, David. What is your favorite Pesach recipe? What is your favorite dish to prepare on Pesach that you would describe as traditionally Pesach style? Okay, well, um, um, at home I cook as, as well as 
professionally. I have uh, you know four youngest children, so they need to be fed. My wife needs to be fed. So some of the time it's just cooking things that we do during the year, but making them Pesachic. But once again, I do. Uh, I think the the Pesach traditions that we have come to the fore, uh, particularly in baking, whereas where um, a lot of the, uh, the um, what Americans would call cookies, what we would call biscuits, um, are traditional recipes which involve a lot of coconut and nuts and eggs and sugar rather than matzo meal. Matzo meal, for one for what I've been told, at one stage was hard to it was hard to uh, to find. It was very expensive, so that's why people developed recipes that didn't need matzo meal. Nothing to do with the argument of gabrochs, and uh, which is a whole separate argument about you know taking once matzo has been baked, if you can get it wet again, um, and that that's certainly something that we we stick with. Um, there's a dish called Geshmeda matzah, which is my mother always used to make, which was a matzah with a, a nice thick layer of rich cream cheese mixed with egg and cinnamon and sugar that you bake in the oven. And it's like, a, I suppose you could argue, a Pesach a cheesecake, if you like, or cheese uh, relish, uh, a tre- cheese dish. Um, and can, you say, can you say the name again for us? I've never heard of it. Geshmeda matzah in Yiddish. It just means geshmeda, the matzah with a shmear on it. Um, and other than that, um, t- sort of t- traditional, what I consider traditional dishes, which are, and we were firmly Ashkenazim and uh, and firmly non-Hasidic, so we certainly use a lot of gabrok, so, you know, chicken with stuffing and matzah balls, knedlach, um, chremzlach, which is a type of fried knedlach, um, lots of matzah meal and, uh, and lots of matzah, and that's what we, and matzah brai, which is, you know, some sort of a, a scrambled egg with matzah in it. Lots of dishes which I said a lot of Ashkenazim wouldn't eat, but that's what, that's our tradition. And, um, I think over the years we found that our kids, even with a bit of encouragement, get to enjoy this more than, you know, buying these very sugary, uh, kosher pesach cereals, which are really, of no value um, nutritionally or otherwise and, and try to keep that tradition alive um, those, are, those are the type of dishes that come to mind and, uh, and uh, also you know just trying to eat healthily over the week not just matzah and jam but I have members of my family who claim that there's nothing better than matzah with uh, some salted butter and or avocado and you know a bit of cheese and we that's more or less what we eat during the week we try to keep you know keep up some 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 use of fresh vegetables which is is healthy and not just matzahs but happily we all eat matzah and for us for me personally i mean pesach without matzah wouldn't really doesn't make a lot of sense and we had a, a meal a couple of weeks ago with some chabadnikim who you know they eat matzah at the seder and, and they eat matzah on the last day and during the week they don't eat matzah because they can't put anything on their matzah and that that's really foreign to me and that 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 that's not pesach i mean the same way uh, the same way when I saw recently in a, some, uh, an advert for a, some hotel in America which was offering uh, a fancy Pesach uh, uh, catering and not gabrochs and, you know, non-gabrochs matzo, uh, matzo balls, which I assume were made from potato flour or something. But, like, what's the point? You know, like, uh, what's the point of having Pesach if you can't, uh, if you can't have it? Well, I'd have to taste it first before, <laughs> you know, you, got, you can't judge. Do you, you guys, you guys, I mean, again, I don't know studies, but you guys share this, the, it seems to me that really the vast majority of, of Israelis engage in Pesach in some way, including a Seder. Isn't that like, don't you? F- I believe uh, a couple of years ago they did a stu- actually did do a study of this, and something like 90% of Israelis have a Seder. Now, they didn't say whether they're eating bread, bread at that Seder and what they're doing at that Seder, but about 90% of Israelis get together on Erev Pesach, sit around a table, and they know why they're there. They're there about Pesach. Um, that's an amazing statistic if you think about it. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful thing. There was there was a hubbub a couple years ago where uh, where I think she was a member of Knesset at the time, 
uh, Ruth Calderon was being interviewed about her Pesach on TV, and she said that she int- she likes to do things at the Seder to get children to ask questions, and she brought bread to the Seder to make the kids ask why is there bread, and she got into, and the the whole panel went crazy at her, like how can you call that a Seder? And and it was exactly your issue, where culturally, it is. So whether I would do that or not isn't really the issue. The issue is that Israelis. It is deeply impactful. The number, and I would assume the number in diaspora communities is probably also pretty high. A Seder is a pretty universal Jewish experience, but I can't imagine they're anywhere near as high as they are here in Israel. The one thing which uh, David was talking before about culinary tradition, and we're talking about like secular versus religious and those sorts of things here. One thing which I've been surprised at, my kids, when they were in, learning in kindergarten, and now that they're le- some of them are in school, one of the foods that they really identify with on Pesach here is walnuts. Now, in England, to me, that wasn't a big deal at all. But in the secular Ghanim uh, kindergartens, the religious kindergartens, everyone goes crazy. The kids all go crazy about walnuts. And I've never understood what the connection is. Why ever, I mean, I know some people put it in Haroset or whatever, but it just seems a very funny symbol for Pesach that the supermarkets are filled with walnuts and everything is advertised as having walnuts and the kids can buy fake plastic walnuts. Like, what is it about walnuts? Well, I assume it's because they're trying to weed out through some sort of cruel Darwinian process to get to, like, murder people with allergies, is, is what I assume. That's why I was just assume. Israel's a rough place, you know, so. <laughs> Tough neighbors here as well, so yeah, maybe. Yeah, no, I think it's just something easy to put on the table. I don't I'm know. I'm not sure where it comes from, but certainly I recall as, as children, one of the things that we did have over Pesach were walnuts and almonds in the shells. And we had, a, you know, there was a nutcracker, and you, after the Seder, you're sitting around, and, and there wasn't much else to eat, so you'd crack the nuts. And um, certain nuts are, are, are used uh, in, in all sorts of uh, um, uh, baking, and uh, I assume because they're naturally, you know, Chomets uh, free and they came and they're uh, tasty. <laughs> well, the midrash does discuss that just as the walnut is the shell that traps the the, the meat inside, then so too do we Jews. But no, I'm just making stuff up. I, mean, I think it's I think it's just because uh, it's convenient. Okay, but I, I, for me that was always a weird thing. That was a very much Israeli thing as opposed to a Chutzlaret thing. That I'd never heard of this whole huge balagan they make about. Walnuts, and suddenly we come to Israel, and it's like part of the culture of Pesach is walnuts. So that's something. I, I remember in New York as well. Suddenly you'd see a lot more. The nuts would pop up, and as a kid, yeah, the nutcracker. I never used a nutcracker, but on Pesach the nutcracker would come out. You know, you'd even have like a thing of mixed nuts. But suddenly on Pesach, and then of course peanuts became an issue because everyone suddenly decided that that was kidney out, and you couldn't have peanuts anymore on Pesach. Which we grew up with uh, with peanut uh, with peanuts, peanut oil, peanut butter, peanuts, chocolate covered peanuts. Uh, I've tried to introduce that to my home, but hasn't really <laughs> hasn't really been so well accepted. If they're not eating dried fruit, they're very unlikely to start with peanuts. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> something I find interesting, besides the the high percentage of people that in Israel go to Seder, is if in a couple of weeks, if you go to the supermarkets now, even you'll see a lot of people who certainly by their dress and behaviour seem to certainly be totally, if you, if you like, or to, seem to be secular or not religious. And nevertheless, you'll see them picking up packages and checking, and is it kashala Pesach, and can they eat it? It's certainly, um, it's a national holiday, and I think um, something that some of our students at Pardes um, inquired, asked me, like, why, why does everyone tell them that Pesach's the time they should be in Israel? And I think that, besides the beautiful weather and uh, the spring, that it is, it's a holiday that takes on a national uh, aspect in terms of the whole country together celebrating it, even if you 
you know, even if some people celebrate it in a, in a way that doesn't conform with halakha, there are nevertheless, there's certainly a high awareness, uh, an increased awareness of, of Judaism and, and eating and, and matzah and, and the, whole, uh, the whole festive atmosphere. I'm afraid to bring it up, but any tips for a, 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 a healthy digestive Passover experience? Any good... <laughs> Well, um, some surprised to hear about dried fruit. I thought the dried fruit was the uh, ultimate. Yeah, dried fruit to me is like a yeah. So some people will, will suggest that you have matzah with high fiber, and you can get, you can buy matzahs which have got increased fiber, or rye matzah which has got a higher fiber. Um, drink lots of water, and I, I think just you know, lots of fruit and vegetables, and lots of fresh air, and physical act- and, and physical activity will basically uh, probably what you need more than uh, that's what I would suggest. Yeah, that's that's always hard after the seder. This you're exhausted and you're full, and you're but you're right. That's what I mean, and I think that's certainly what the in between days what Cholamoyed is for. You see everybody getting out of their homes, and everywhere here is packed with families spending family time because the whole country is enjoying Passover. The whole, uh, the whole country does a tries to do the Pesach sacrifice. There's barbecues yeah. everywhere. You smell the the grilled meat. The whole country is full of grilled meat. So maybe that's an antidote also to the to the extra matzah. All right. Well, thank you so much, David. It was really uh, a pleasure getting your culinary insights. It's been an honor to, uh, to be with you guys. Okay. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening and wishing you all a wonderful Pesach with a healthy digestive tract. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Jerusalem U, the Israel Teachers Lounge podcast. Please feel free to subscribe through whichever service you use. Also, come join us on the Facebook page and ask us questions and keep up to date with what we're doing. We love feedback. Also, we would really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes and review and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. It would make a very big difference for us. And you would earn our eternal gratitude. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.